Hi, my name is Claire Poole. Our first reading is from the book of 1 John, chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which we walked, in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The word of the Lord. Dear Lord, again we offer you those children and the people going to teach them, and ask you to watch over them. Thank you again for the joy and care of children. Um, thank you for this letter from John, your apostle who you loved, and the way he is writing to us, adults, as children too. Children that he sees and loves as an apostle and a disciple and sort of a first bishop. We, come, we, uh, we need instruction and we need help. And we want to know what it's like to walk with you and to be loved by you and respond to you. So we ask for your guidance and help. We thank you for the chance to gather and pray you'll fill this space and fill us. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning. If you're visiting, we're delighted to have you here. My name is Dean Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to ask a question for a sec. So how many of you, raise your hand if you have a sport watch of some kind with an app that tracks your workout kind of stuff, or a phone, like something that, you way up, let's just solve, okay. And probably has, pretty if it has like three circles, maybe use your phone, right? Like three different pretty circles that maybe close at the end of some day or whatever. Right, I have one, I'm wearing it now, and I have the three multicolored circles that show if I've closed, not closed where I am in the day, right? Um, and those are great in a lot of ways, right? They can be a lot of fun. So they give you an idea of like the, a genuine day, what I'd call like a genuine day of exercise, and they're typically three categories, right? Who can rem- remember, maybe think those three categories typically evaluate or measure movement in some way, right? So just that you're not standing or laying on the ground, <laughs> If you had another kind of need, another kind of watch you'd need at that point. Um, movement and then exercise, which is probably the best way, like movement with pace, right? Like some sort of elevated heart rate. And then standing, right? So how many of you have a device that might, if you're sitting too long at home or at work, it'll, it'll notify you, hey, you need to stand. Isn't that super fun, right? But they can be great and helpful. I like to have mine, but they can also be a little bit annoying. Like sometimes I'll go for a run in the morning and I'll get some like at nine o'clock, some like great start to the day. And I feel like going, hey, no one asked you. Like, maybe I'm done for the day and I need you to shut up. I didn't ask you if it's a good start. Maybe I'm over now. But what if you had a watch that, that, that measured, um, like, eating ice cream 
and watching TV and like sitting down all day, right? Like some of you are like, that's the watch for me. Um, but like gave you circles that and, and pitched the same slogan, right? Like this is genuine physical health, right? Oh good, hey, half gallon of ice cream, closed circle, well done, right? Eight hours of Netflix, super job, you're really on your way, right? And if you brought that in and showed people work, you're like, look at my circles, man, I'm killing it. People would be concerned, right? And they'd look at you like, Maybe you don't have a genuine idea of what physical health is. Maybe you're a heretic. Maybe you're, you're trying to sell me that this is physical health. And this morning as we continue in 1 John, we're going to see John is doing the same thing that your watch does. He's trying to tell us what genuine spiritual health is. Because people have been pitching a heresy. People have been saying, hey, eat this ice cream, don't eat vegetables, sit down all day and you will be spiritually healthy. And John, John who walked with Jesus... Again, John, the apostle Jesus loved, is saying, no, that's wrong. I have a better way. I have better circles for you to close. So you know what genuine life with Jesus really is like. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to 1 John 2. Let's just do a little bit of review. We just started last week. So if you weren't with us last week, no sweat. We're going to catch you right up right now. Again, this letter, we believe, is written by John, the apostle, writing in Asia Minor, probably somewhere near Ephesus or what's modern-day Kusadasi in Turkey at the end of the first century AD. And we consider this what's called a pastoral encyclical. It's a letter written by a a loving pastor to a group of churches. It's gonna cycle around several churches in that area. It's not a particular letter just to, let's say, the church in Galatia, like Galatians is. This is gonna go to several churches. And again, he's writing to combat false teaching, probably after John has been on the island of Patmos, so these letters are probably written after the book of Revelation. And if you read, and I hope you do read, we have a card out uh, if you want to follow along and read with us this summer. Here's the readings. You can just pick one of these up on your way home or on your way out. But if you're reading along, you'll see John is a different kind of writer than Paul. Like Paul trained in the law. Paul's very linear, like a lawyerly argument as he writes his letters. Um, But John is more like an artist. So if you look at the beginning of John, like if you read 1 John like we did last week or look at John 1, the gospel, you'll see this is more like a song. This is sort of an artist's rendering of what it's like to love Jesus and an artist's response as compared to like a lawyer's response you'd get from Paul. And again, as John is writing to confront this group, bringing a false understanding of what genuine life with Jesus really looks like. And we used the word last week to introduce, so remember it's called Gnosticism, right? This idea that there's a special knowing. Gnosis is the Greek term that we get that word Gnosticism from. They claimed to have this unique knowledge that gave them insight into three particular things. First, this understanding of matter. They saw the earth and matter and the flesh as evil and wrong and dirty, not something you'd want to be a part of, particularly not something a holy God would want to be a part of. They didn't see creation as a value or creation as a beauty. You wanted to separate yourself from your body and creation. True, genuine spiritual health wasn't an integration of our bodies, minds, and souls, but a separation of those things. Then they thought they had a special insight into Jesus, who they didn't believe was fully God and fully human, even though that's what he taught. They saw Jesus as either maybe a phantom, sort of a spirit, or a sort of Christ-like phantom covering over a human man that was on Jesus from his baptism to before the cross. Now, these first two particularly beg real denials of Christian doctrine around things like creation and the incarnation and the resurrection and ascension. So these are undercutting the very lifeblood, the very bedrock foundations of what we believe it means to be a Christian. 
And then they claimed to have a special knowledge about fellowship was if you're in the club, if you had the special knowledge and agreed with them, then you are part of their community. But if you weren't, then they were really arrogant, distanced themselves from you, you were not part of the special club. And they created this sort of real elitist separation. And then, again, this is a group that grew out of the church communities in that area. You can, you can imagine what that was like if this side of the room didn't believe these Gnostic things, but the far side, just as an example, did, and you decided you are gonna leave this community. And we would be like, wait, our friends used to play together, and we used to share communion together, and we all went and heard Paul when he was at Ephesus, and now we're hearing John, and we maybe heard Peter when he came through, and now you guys are leaving, and not only are you leaving this church, you're telling us that we don't really, we're not smart enough or holy enough. Or, there's real pain here underneath this letter. And part of that elitism was that the Gnostics assumed they didn't really sin anymore. The way they're trying to answer the question of how, why do we still sin even though we've given our lives to Jesus is by saying, well, we must not sin anymore. Which is, I joked last week, well, that's kind of a good gig if you can get it. But... I don't believe that to be true, and neither does John. Now, you can see plenty of, plenty of these sort of Gnostic tendencies in our world today. Any belief system that claims a unique knowledge only a few can know, only the elite or the elect or the special can only know this one thing, has a Gnostic underpinning. Any belief system that doesn't take seriously the uniqueness of the human body and how it informs us in our life and is integrated with our body and mind, has some Gnostic underpinning. And any belief system that denies Jesus' unique divine and human identity has some Gnostic underpinning. So this is not a, something that, oh, well, they just thought that now. This obviously has seeped down through the centuries. So in response, John writes this letter with two major principles rooted in who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First, God is the light so God is not the God who created the world, gifted it to us. And he came, it came from his light. It's not a dark thing. It's a thing to be celebrated. And he is light. The created world is not to be objectified, but to be lived in and loved and honored. And then also God is love. We saw God as light last week in chapter one. We'll see God as love some today, but particularly as we get to the latter part of the book. And with these two principles, we can understand this simple outline of John's letter that I shared last week. Sort of a section on walking in God's light, which we sort of finished today, then on practicing God's truth, living in God's love, and sharing God's victory. John again is outlining the three primary healthy real circles on your watch. This is genuine Christianity. This is what it means to have a vibrant life with the Jesus he knew. And this morning's passage is again a fleshing out of those specifics. In our verses, John has a set of three markers of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And then he integrates this idea of love. God is love through an understanding of God is light. He integrates these, those two concepts. So what is genuine faith? What are the three markers? And then what's it look like to walk in the light? First, genuine believers, John teaches, hold to certain truths about Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, in contrast to the teaching that these Gnostics were proposing. Jesus is fully God and fully human and died on our behalf. John uses two very vivid words here. First, he's our advocate. This is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit, parakletos. He's, he's our advocate before his Father. And then the big word, the big theological word that's used is he's our propitiation. 
How many of you use that word in any sentence this week at all? Probably nobody. Propitiation is another understanding of it's our atoning sacrifice. It's really borrowed from the Old Testament when the, the priest, like a priest is going in to pray on your behalf. If I was gonna go in and pray on your behalf in the temple, I would take in a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice, both for my sins and yours, and offer it to God before I would enter into the holiest place to pray on the behalf of Israel. The way we recognize that we do still sin, not that we're sinless like the Gnostics taught, was to hold fast to this truth. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. What he's saying is, yes, you get to enter in as a kingdom of priests. Man, woman, boy, girl, you get to enter into God's presence now. And the reason you can do that is because I was your atoning sacrifice forever. So first they hold truth to lots of truths about the Messiah, but this is the particular one John's focusing on here in chapter two. Second then, we don't just hold on to truths in our heads. We're not just a, a brain faith, right? Like that's one of the Gnostics' troubles. But genuine believers then obey Christ's commands. We don't just sit in a room and say, I know all the right things. We get up and we do and respond to this truth about who Jesus is. Yes, we still sin, but as we walk with Jesus, we confess those sins. That's what we saw in John 1 last week, 1 John 1, and you hear us use that in the absolution a lot. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which begs that we do sin and that we do come and confess and then we get up and we keep walking with Jesus. We don't just come for communion, we exit the building having communed with God and continuing to walk with him. We begin to grow and change and take on heaven's virtues and we start to look different. I've been a Christian a long time and I look different than when I first gave my life to Jesus, praise the Lord. My guess is many of you have been Christians a long time, might be a long time chronologically or just feel like a long time to you. Maybe you're 15, you gave your life to the Lord at 10 and you're like, wow, a full third of my life I gave my life to Jesus. I bet you look different now at 15 if you've been walking with Jesus than you did at 10 years old. And what John is encouraging us to do is to, to live with Jesus. He uses this verb over and over again, both in the Gospel of John and here, abide. Abide with Jesus. We abide. We abide. We make our residence. We ask Jesus to make his residence in us. We live with Jesus, and he begins to change us. He uses that image in chapter one, walking in darkness versus walking in the light. We begin to walk in the light. So, genuine faith. One of the circles we hold fast to the truth about Jesus, particularly here that he's our atoning sacrifice. Genuine faith. We obey his commands. We begin to change and grow and let him form and shape us. What we were, we're not gonna be anymore. We're gonna change and become. But if I wanna obey and I'm supposed to do the commands, it begs another question. Like, like what commands? What am I supposed to do? That's the third marker John highlights here. Genuine believers are characterized by their love for one another. And you can see again how he's answering the Gnostic separation and elitism with nope. We actually turn to each other and love one another. We don't separate. It's not a special knowledge that separates us. It's a revealed person, fully human, fully divine, that brings us together and reconciles us. And he's highlighting here that this is both an old and a new command. He says this is not necessarily a new command because in the Old Testament we're told to love one another. But then it is a new command because you see in the passage in John 13, the gospel that was read, Jesus says a new what? I give to you a new 
command. Now, commandment is a loaded term in a room full of Jews. Because how many commandments did they have? Lots, but a particular, there was a particular subset, like the Bill of Rights. The, the Bill of Rights of Israel were how many commandments? Ten, right? We won't quiz each other, and if you know them all, but they're all important. And to use that word and to say, I'm giving you a new one, geez, it's super important. That would have, all the disciples would have said, wait a minute. Who, who's allowed to give? I mean, God chiseled on, for Moses on stone those ten. That's pretty important. Why does Jesus think he can give us a new one? Because he's the Messiah, because he's instituting a new Israel, and it's going to be marked by new commandments, including and especially this one, love one another. As I have loved you, as I'm going to go about to die on the cross, as I've washed your feet, love one another. And John, whose feet were washed in the upper room, is saying, hey, guess what? A genuine marker, a circle on your watch of life with Jesus is to love one another. We used this phrase a couple weeks ago. That's the upside down kingdom of heaven. We love one another. So holding fast to truth, obeying Christ's commands and loving one another, that specific command. These are the three marks John uses of genuine faith. They would be genuine, isolated, just teaching abstractly on what does it look like to be a Christian. But they're particularly genuine as they answer the claims of the Gnostic church. These are often called for John a couple different things. John's three tests. Sometimes they're called the truth test, the moral test, and the social test. Again, hold fast to truth, obey commands, love one another. Or the test of doctrine, the test of obedience, and the test of love. And I find the breadth of these particularly loving coming from God through John because I know my own bent would be to focus on maybe just one of these, not all three. And I bet if you look at those, you can all evaluate and think, one of those is most appealing to me, but not all three. Maybe you're here and you know you're the truth teller. That belief test, that truth test, that doctrine test, that is all you, you have passed it with flying colors. You, I, you want me to give you one now, a truth test, and you'd take it. You're gonna believe, you're gonna, you're gonna love you some truth, and if you have to bludgeon somebody with it, well, so be it. Maybe, maybe it's easier for you to focus, like, I'm gonna obey. I'm the moral guy. I'm gonna keep those rules. I need to focus, though, but I need to, I'm more a pietist. I really need to focus, and for me to obey, I need to ignore you because you're gonna distract me from obedience, and quite frankly, people are annoying and frustrating. The Gnostics were on to something that people are hard to be with. Or maybe you're just like, look, I'm just a lover. I just love everybody. That's my deal. Who wants a hug? Your favorite part of the service is the passing, passing of the peace. If you were here at the beginning when I had folks just say hi, you're like, oh, I love worship. It's never been better. Because God made us all, right? But it's hard for us all to look at these and go, ooh, I'm, I want, I'm, I'm open, Lord, to growing and being stretched to all three. But that's all three circles. For a genuine faith, John is calling us to be marked by all, by all three. Yes, holding fast to the full truth of Jesus, so he is not just a good guy or a great teacher or someone nice. He's the Messiah, fully God, fully human, died and resurrected. Choosing to obey even when it's hard, even when you failed and you have to get back up and do it again or it's not popular, it's not gonna win you any friends or make you any, your family excited about you. It might be when no one is looking at all. 
and of course, loving one another. Now let's unpack that last one a little bit because it integrates for John this idea of God is the light. Because remember, we're in that section of John, God is the light, through the first chapter, or two chapters. For John, we're not just called to hold on to genuine belief. You and I are called in verses 10 and 11 of chapter two, especially to hold on to our genuine brother and sister. It's again a commandment. It would be like they had 11 commandments now. Now what does the loving do? What we find out is that loving one another answers that question about living with Jesus. When you love one another, you are abiding in the light. When you love one another, you're abiding and living in the light. You're obeying the commandment and you're believing what Jesus sent you and I to believe and do. Light is a super frequent and powerful image in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. Physical light is the first created thing in Genesis 1. And in Revelation 22, the other end of the Bible, it's the light of God that obliterates all traces of darkness. So the Bible is literally bracketed by the understanding of God and his light. In between Genesis 1 and Revelation 22, there are 200 appearances of light. We saw some of them last week in verse five of chapter one, we learned that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We go back to our Advent readings, Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great Christmas tree. No. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's the Messiah. Jesus was the light. That's the promise. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. That's Isaiah 9 again. And Luke 2, as the baby Jesus is brought to the temple, Simeon comes and he greets Mary and Joseph and he holds up the baby and he says that this baby is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. He's built, Simeon, prophetically, is naming the breadth of this new kingdom, Jew and Gentile. The people we're gonna love are gonna be different. So it's worth asking a little bit about what does light do? What does light do? Last night, like many of you, I built a Lego. My family gave me a Lego for Father's Day because they know I love the movie Up, so I have a Lego of the movie Up, I'm Not Done. And it was too dark. And at one point my sweet wife said, do you want a little more light in here? And I said, sure, because the pieces are like that big. And it's clear I got some seeing issues already. And that light helped me find the pieces I needed. Light can also bring order and clarity. Light can push back darkness. Everybody entered into a dark room or had a child come out saying, I, I'm, I'm scared of the dark. I don't know that I ever had any one of my children come out and say, I am scared of the light. Light can be a guide, a flashlight, guiding through the forest. If this room was dark, we were seeing a play. Ushers might bring you down to the front with a light and guide you. It allows us both to find and to be found. Light can even find something that is troubling us. I don't know about you guys, but we have an, an increase in live animals in our neighborhood. Particularly in our backyard, we have foxes and raccoons. And our dog is losing his mind at 3 a.m. a lot of mornings. More mornings than I care to name here. And a couple times, he barks once, twice. I go back out, I help him calm down because th this thing that he is troubled by 
is still out there somewhere. And so I'll grab a big flashlight and I'll shine it on it and she'll try to find the thing because whenever we find it, the fox runs away and the raccoon does that weird thing where raccoons sort of act like they're auditioning for a mime. They move really slowly in the light. The light helps find what's troubling and it leaves the yard. In scripture, we see light is actually an invitation to worship. God's Shekinah glory fills the temple. His light fills the temple. This is what God does with light. God is light, John is saying. And as we read through 1 John, what we realize is when we begin to believe and obey and love, we're responding to God's light. His love pours that same light into us. And it makes you and I light. You and I loving one another is light to the world. Like Jesus said, they'll know you are Christians by your love. As you receive my Father's love and light, you shine love and light into the world. That means that when you do that and I do that, we bring order and clarity. We both find and are found. We illuminate and push back darkness. We help others see. We help them not be afraid. The same things God does as light in the world, you and I get to do as light in the world. When we are genuinely believing and genuinely obeying and genuinely loving, we are bringing light to the world. Now, have you ever thought, the world seems to be getting really dark. Gosh, I hope someone pushes back the darkness. I have. And God would say, great idea. Guess who gets to do that? Guess who's invited to do that? Guess who John is saying should do that? You and me, you and me, little flashlights for Jesus. We should be handing flashlights out as you leave. In John 8, Jesus, this is one of my favorite I am statements of Jesus. He enters into the, during the festival of lights in Jerusalem. And to read this passage and really understand it, we should always have like an orchestra and timpani and spotlights because he stands in this festival of lights and calls attention to himself and says, see all these lights? I am the light of the world. I will push back the darkness for the entire world for all eternity. But then if we read Matthew 5, as Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and he's, he's inviting us to be a part of the upside down kingdom, he tells you and I that we're flashlights. What does he say in Matthew 5? You, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men and women. You, you should have goosebumps. Me? Me? I can guide people. I can help people push back the darkness. I can so be genuine in love and belief that I can push back the darkness on behalf of Jesus. That is super important. It's super astounding. It's why we need to know what genuine faith really is. What if your watch tomorrow didn't notify you about motion and exercise and standing, but it said, you have loved well today? Okay, so you have to stand 10, what if you and I had to love 10 times a day and you got some ping at 5 p.m. like, you need to stand up, brother. You have not loved a day at all. 
your circle is like a little baby circle, maybe around a quarter of the circle. I'd be like, shut up, watch. Ain't nobody asked you nothing. But guess what? If that's where I was, I could come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not the lever you are. I, I need you to forgive me and help me. Because I believe who you are, and I want to obey, and I want to love particularly one another. But I sure need your help. So I want you to think about your week and pretend you have a circle on your watch. Let's make it purple. And purple's gonna show whether you love well this week at six, by 6 p.m. Where, where might it be hard to love this week? And then if you wanna make it really personal, like something you could talk about people over lunch or dinner, people you trust, a safe space, you could say, who's it gonna be hard to love this week? Because then we could say, well, Paul, with John, God is light and God is love. And I get to go be both those things. Lord, help me do this. Help me live that commandment and push back the darkness. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you again for John who was not only loved by you, but was so known for loving his people. He was so marked by an overflow of love and belief. And even here, he's obeying by holding fast to who you are and teaching us to hold fast as well. It is not easy to love. And Lord, you knew that, and you love difficult people for sure. I'm sure the disciples could be difficult. I'm sure we're difficult to love. But we cry out, would you make us many flashlights for you this week, that we might be a light that shines to you, that we could say we have received the love and light of God, and we're just trying to pass that along as genuine followers of you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.